Hey there, this is Danny Sunshine Bauer from Better Leaders, Better Schools, and the School Leadership Series, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. I'm your host, Greg Goins, and I'm really excited to continue our special leadership series this week as I bring in a very special guest, Dr. Robert Quinn. Dr. Quinn is a longtime professor in the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan, and he's been inspiring positive change in organizations now for more than 40 years. Dr. Quinn has published 18 books, including the 1996 classic, Deep Change, Discover the Leader Within. He's also been recognized for writing the number one book in the education genre in 2015 when he wrote The Best Teacher in You. And we have a great conversation in this episode about both of these amazing books. Dr. Quinn is the co-founder and director of the Center for Positive Organization at the University of Michigan and he's worked with more than half of the Fortune 500. It was truly an honor to talk to Dr. Quinn about the change process and the study of leadership. So go ahead and turn up the volume, kick back, relax, and enjoy my special conversation during the leadership series with Dr. Bob Quinn. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. I'm your host, Greg Goins, and I'm so excited to continue our conversations with leadership experts around the globe as we welcome in Dr. Robert Quinn. How are you, Dr. Quinn? I'm doing really well, thank you. Are you in Michigan today? Uh, I'm in uh, Alexandria, Virginia. Okay, so you're on the road. I know you spent many years as a professor at the University of Michigan. Probably a big Wolverine football fan, right? Yeah, looking forward to the next few Saturdays. Yes, it's going to be exciting. Well, uh, as I told you before we came on the air, I, I always get excited talking with leadership experts as someone that runs a, a ed leadership program here in higher education. And uh, let's just begin by talking a little bit about uh, this idea of the study of leadership. And uh, I know you, you're the author of 18 books, you do a lot of speaking, work with a lot of Fortune 500 companies. It's always amazing to me. You go to your local bookstore, and the, one of the biggest sections in the room is the management leadership section. Why is it over this period of time, leadership is still so overwhelming for people that we have to dive into all this research and all these ideas on how to be a better leader? <laughs> That's a fantastic question. And I think there's an answer. Um, And the answer is, I believe you and I, and everyone else in the world, has a hunger for voice. We want to be heard. You're doing this podcast because you want to be heard. (laughs) Um, The forces in social systems from small groups to large companies and school districts and any kind of large organization, 
they tend to drive out voice. Uh, it's a hierarchical process. Uh, information tends to flow downward. Um, and the network becomes impoverished. And, and we tend to live in impoverished organizations. And people are starved, hungry to figure out how to in some way have a voice in this world. You know, in doing my research on you and your illustrious career in academia and also as a leadership expert, you know, I can Google Robert Quinn leadership and find all these wonderful videos. I can watch presentations that you've given. I had a chance to watch your TED talk recently and, and I hope you take this as a compliment, but you're an incredible storyteller and you really pull people in when you begin talking with them. And as an example, um, you know, in the TED Talk that you did, you talked about the value of just changing your perspective. And you talked about the gentleman that, that drove the same routes every day and, and knew that route like the back of his hand. And then he had car trouble and had to change a vehicle. And by sitting four inches higher in the rental vehicle, his, his, complete, his world completely changed because he had a different perspective. And that is such a tremendous analogy for uh, this concept of looking at things through a different lens in that leadership position. I, uh, I love the title of your podcast, right? Reimagining schools. Um, one of the most important things that we can do in life is to continually reimagine ourselves, the environment around us, um, our purpose in life, and yet the forces that we live with drive us away from that. We drive towards conformity. And what happens is we can't see possibility. Um, when I talk to school teachers or school administrators, uh, they're exactly like every other group I talk to. They immediately recite the constraints. And the whole challenge, the reason I tell stories, is to open the mind to see possibility. It's absolutely crucial. What you're doing is absolutely crucial. And I know you have a big family uh, in doing some research on you as well. You have 16 grandchildren. So the thought of the public school system or education in general has to be something that, that you think about on a regular basis. You, you uh, are the author of a wonderful book that came out in 2014, The Best Teacher in You, How to Accelerate Learning and Change Lives. And you've done a lot of research and you tell a lot of great stories about the importance of teaching and, and the impact that, that teachers and educators play on the lives of our kids every single day? Um, it's a passion, actually. <laughs> that book was an amazing experience. So we had the opportunity to uh, meet with, interview, work with the top 1% or 2% of public school teachers in the state of Ohio, and they were identified through multiple years of value-added scores. Um, and so these were school teachers that you send your kid to school in September, and in June they come home doing uh, not fourth grade work, but sixth grade work, and in a few cases even seventh grade work. So these are teachers that walk on water. You know, these are the extreme end of the curve. So if you think about the experience you and I had, 
going through 12 years of public school, then going to college for four years, and then perhaps more, we've been exposed to many, many teachers. Most of those teachers fall in the middle of the curve. If we're lucky, once in our public school career as a student, we get exposed to that teacher who's in the, in the top 1%. Typically, we talk about that person for the rest of our lives. We, and we value that person. And so the question is, if you pull all those people out, the top 1%, do you discover anything different from the people who are normal? Now, normal is not bad. Normal is good. You know, a normal teacher's working hard, normal teacher's having impact. But is there a difference between the great teacher and the conventional teacher? And the answer was absolutely yes. In fact, I knew before I ever left Ann Arbor, Michigan to go to Ohio and interview these people that they weren't school teachers. You say, well, wait a minute. We just said they were school teachers. That's their job. And the question is, you know, if you know they move students in that fashion and they have that impact, what are they? And it was really clear to me before we ever left Ann Arbor and met the first one that they were leaders. They're transformational leaders. They're people who change belief and they realize potential. So what a golden opportunity to focus on those people. And it was a great, great experience. You know, another big piece to, to your work over the years is you're the co-founder and director of the Center for Positive Organizations at University of Michigan. And your most recent book that came out in 2015 is The Positive Organization, Breaking Free from Conventional Cultures, Constraints, and Beliefs. And, and I think about, um, again, this show is about the American education system or actually globally this idea that we need to rethink what we're doing because by and large, education hasn't changed a whole lot over the last 125 years. And, um, and this is something that I'm passionate about. I talk a lot about. So when you talk about change, I can't think of an institution uh, that has been more resistant to change than, than public education over the years. And I'm still trying to figure out why. And, and the bigger piece to that question is, why can't we seem to make any forward progress? Although we have with things like technology and other things that are now being incorporated into the classroom. But there's this, this status quo that hangs on so tight to this traditional school model that it can be very frustrating at times. Yes. Uh, um, and I believe that all organizations are naturally resistant to change for a lot of good reasons. But there are some sectors where it's particularly challenging. Higher education. Uh, is incredibly resistant to change, uh, public schools, et cetera. Um, and there are a lot of reasons for that. In higher education, we call them organized uh, anarchies. The, you have very independent players in a college professor, um, and they're very powerful <laughs> as a result. The work being done is a very individualistic activity. Um, in public schools, you know, they're, you know, very determined by external expectations, you know, what the, the community thinks, what the parents think, uh, the slightest issue, and it becomes an incredible political issue. Um, 
and the people inside learn how to play those dynamics. You know, every time you want to change, you want to cut a budget, the principal announces, okay, we're going to cut the football budget. You know, that's a very intelligent act or that, that person uh, in terms of a way to stop a change process. But the emphasis is on stopping, not on doing what we think is the right thing to do. And, you know, when we talk about the, we talk about the change process and, and your book in 1996 that it was a bestseller and probably the book that you're most well known for is Deep Change, Discovering the Leader Within. And a lot of times we talk about this idea of change, but we, re we really never dive into the principles of change and how to get there. So uh, and I know you've talked a lot about this, but in writing that book, that had to be an exhilarating experience to do the research and talk with people about what that actually looks like and putting that on paper and how it looks in action. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, basically deep change is deep learning and deep learning is learning when our fundamental assumptions change. And, you know, the interest, if I go back to the teacher book, um, there were some commonalities across those great teachers. One, they didn't have jobs. They had callings. They weren't there to teach English, history, or math. They were there to create the love of learning. They had a purpose. They had a mission. Um, the norms in the school were norms they violated. The norms say, don't be a great teacher. The norms say be a teacher like all the other teachers. <laughs> um, when you violate those norms, you do it at a price. Yet they did that. Why did they do it? Because they were driven by this higher purpose. Now the question is, where did that come from? Well, it didn't come from the education school where they got their degree. It didn't come from a book they read. Almost all of them got there through crisis. Some personal crisis that caused them to reformulate their own identity their own purpose. And the interesting thing is the same pattern holds in the corporate world. Most executives are managers, not leaders. Most teachers are falling into that managerial mentality, which is extend the existing culture. When an executive in a corporation has a crisis and becomes a leader, they begin to create culture. When a great teacher's in a classroom, they're creating culture. They're creating a culture that's incredibly positive, full of respect and trust in terms of horizontally across that classroom, um, a place where kids are on fire, excited, and able to talk to each other and to the teacher in ways they can't talk in another classroom. Um, and amazing things happen in that classroom. One of those teachers said to me, you know, for the last five years, I've had attention because these scores exist. But I've been teaching this way for 30 years. In 30 years, never once has a person from the district come in and observed my classroom. Now the question is, where is that person in the district if they're not in her classroom? The answer is that poor person is solving problems in the bad classrooms or in the bad parts of the district or whatever it happens to be. Managers solve problems. They learn from the problems they try to solve. They don't learn from excellence. We don't design schools or corporations or governments to excellence. We divide, design them to constraints. And uh, there's so much 
you know, when you talk about the Center for Positive Organizing, that's, you know, that's what we look at is what, instead of asking, what is it? We ask, what does he look like at his best? What does she look like at her best? What does a group look like at its best? What does an organization look like at its best? It, it brings an entirely different set of scientific answers and possible practices. I've also heard you talk a lot about higher purpose and, and you've, you've talked about that a little bit in the short time we've been talking, but you know, the, probably the most popular thing right now, in my opinion, when you think about the study of leadership is I don't want to call it a buzzword, but you hear a lot about servant leadership and, and that's really big in my area. John Calipari is the head basketball coach, university of Kentucky. Just about every time he gets an opportunity to talk about it, he will talk about servant leadership because he knows he's preparing young men for millions of dollars in their future and he wants them to give back in some way so he's trying to teach them not only the game of basketball but this concept of servant leadership is that kind of your thought process when you talk about higher purpose you you have to do things that uh you have to think big picture if you're going to lead organizations yeah um when i'm 11 12 13 years old it's not uncommon for me to rebel, to push the family back, because I'm looking for my identity. And I then may spend years on that journey, trying to figure out who I am. And in that journey, it's a journey of independence. It's a journey, it's an ego journey, it's trying to find my ego. Um, some people spend their whole lives on that journey and they never get out of it. Other people, and one of the things that crisis does, is it forces people to ask, who am I really? What's my identity? What's my values? When they do, one of the transformations that takes place is they move from ego to contributions. What is my contribution? What's my, what difference am I gonna make on this planet? When I begin to ask those questions, I let go of acquiring things like money, prestige, recognition, promotion. And I begin to ask, what do I have to give? Now that is a servant mentality. As I go into it with purpose, I will get blocked. But if the purpose is real, for example, these school teachers we studied, um, they were punished for being excellent, um, not rewarded. And they were very lonely. And the question is, why in the world did they keep going? And the answer was, they had discovered something bigger than the external reward system. They found a different reward system. When they saw their kids transform and do miraculous things, that's what they were about. They knew it. They were willing to do whatever necessary to bring that about. And so as we discover higher purpose, it takes us first of all to the transcendence of ego. We begin to, and we do begin to serve. We also have greater challenges and our, this is I think key, learning accelerates. And suddenly we're a learning system. Now if a school teacher, if you go to Carol Dweck's work about fixed and growth mindsets, if a school teacher is not growing, that school teacher is gonna be in the fixed mindset and therefore is gonna to begin to believe no one else learns growth. And they're going to begin to behave in ways that actually are detrimental to learning. If I'm in a growth mindset because I'm growing, 
I begin to believe everybody around me can learn and grow. When I do that and I make that discovery, I begin to see learning and growing. I reimagine education. I reimagine the school. I reimagine my relationship with kids. And it opens brand new doors. And I've also heard you talk uh, in great length about uh, this idea of a positivity ratio mm-hmm. and, and the value of, you know, it sounds so simple. If you're going to be the leader of any organization, whether you're the coach of a team, the principal of a school, I mean, if you can walk in upbeat, positive, a smile on your face, communicate effectively with people, that's going to go a long way toward having a successful day, which leads to a successful month and a successful year. But that, for whatever reason, seems to be a barrier for a lot of people. Uh, Yes. In fact, scientifically, we know that the normal ratio of positive thoughts and feelings to negative is two to one. For every negative thought or feeling I have, I I tend to have two uh, positives. That puts me in the normal situation. If it gets worse, I get a little depressed. On the other hand, it can get better. If it gets between four and five to one, my brain starts to pump oxytocin. There's literally a biological change. Stress goes down. I see a bigger picture. I begin to learn faster key phrase, I think, for your audience. Uh, I can combine unlike things, which is called creativity. I can do things I can't otherwise do. And so the notion of living in a positive space um, in the face of opposition, that is with negative things coming at me, (laughs) um, that's a kind of work that transforms me, transforms my classroom, and transforms the kids in my classroom. If you want evidence of that, go back to your own 12 years in public education. Think about all the teachers you ever knew. Which ones did you most respect? Um, The answer is the ones who were most authentic and most positive. They knew who they really were. They determined themselves, and they were full of energy, and they were giving it to me. Whether you had that teacher or you just walked by that teacher every day, you know, that's what explains that category. And so that notion of positivity ratio from Barbara Fredrickson's research is a very powerful notion. And, you know, I, I, don't, have, I don't have research to back this up, but uh, it, it seems to me that typically if you're put into a new leadership position, it's because there's been some kind of turmoil, some kind of crisis. Uh, there's something negative that has happened. And it's very rare that you would be hired for a head coaching position uh, for a team that just won the Super Bowl. So I think, go back to that Michigan football example, uh, Jim Harbaugh was hired in 2015. And in 2014, Michigan football had a five and seven record. So you have to go all the way back to 1967 to find a Michigan football team that won fewer than five games. So whether you're, you're coming into a, a new school leadership position, maybe test scores have, have been bad. You're going to be a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Sales have been uh, continuing to drop. Whether you're a football coach, it's always going to be a rebuilding job, which makes it even a little more stressful as you enter into those type of positions. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Uh, It's true in every organization. Uh, I recently had a conversation with an executive in a Fortune 100 company, and 
he said, um, there was a unit that was 80% behind plan. It was just terrible. They needed a leader. No one would take it. I immediately volunteered. He said, I knew that was the place to be. That was the golden opportunity. And I had enormous faith that I could turn that around. Now, when I went in, if I describe what it was like, you'd say that's terrible because it was, it appeared to be an awful context. But because he knew how to lead, he began to turn that around. He said, we're now way ahead of plan. And he said, but more importantly, it is so exciting to be with these people that it is easy for me to get up in the morning. I want to go to work. Then he said, I don't know why anybody would lead in any other way than positive leadership. Now, he was in a room full of 40 peers who were complaining about their company. It was an incredibly courageous statement on his part, but took the breath out of that room. Um, you know, to be a leader is to initiate. It's to change culture. If you don't believe ch culture can be changed, it means you're still a manager. You're not a leader. Everybody can become a leader. That's also disbelieved. Um, and those are enormous opportunities that you're describing when things are going badly to, to lead. And I've also heard you talk about uh, this idea of incremental change versus deep change. Mm -hmm. and, and obviously, for some, for some folks, you know, I spent 15 years as a school district superintendent in Illinois, uh, leading that organization, and, and I've been down both roads. And it's a lot easier to, to go slow and, and try to create some of those incremental changes to try to keep building those blocks to ultimately create some, some deep change. What is the difference in your mind and what suggestions do you have for school leaders that are thinking about engaging in the change process? Yeah, there's actually a paradox connected to that that's really relevant to school leaders. I engage, and so does almost everyone else, in incremental change and incremental learning because incremental change is safe. Deep change is risky. What is the risk? I have to risk learning. I have to believe that in real time, moving forward, building the bridges I walk on it, that I can join with other human beings and we can formulate answers and design and develop and organize a new system in real time. That's all about faith. It's about believing in myself and others, and it's mostly about believing and learning. And one of the things one of those school teachers in the study of great school teachers said to me was, I never ever make a promise to my kids unless I know I can keep it, no matter how tiny it is. And I said, well, why is that? She said, because I have to have trust. She said, trust is the currency of learning and transformation. Because I'm going to ask my children to do things they know they can't do. And the only reason they're going to engage it is that they have total trust in me. And my kids do have total trust in me. And they experience the transformation of self because they take the risk of 
becoming someone new every day in my classroom. Now, the average administrator in public schools or in a Fortune 100 company is going to go incremental. They're going to go safe because they don't have confidence in themselves or others that together we can learn. Now, that's ironic in the field of education. If only we believed in learning. Well, Dr. Quinn, I can't thank you enough for taking some time to talk with me today. Your body of work over the last 40 years is truly remarkable. I've, I've been a big fan for a long time. And you certainly want to follow Dr. Quinn on Twitter. He's at Bob Quinn U of M. You can also visit him at his website, which is bob-quinn.com. And as we wrap it up, just maybe a closing thought for those school leaders that are out there, superintendents, principals, even teacher leaders, because we know teachers can also lead from the classroom in, in their school districts. What advice do you have for those folks? You know, we're into another school year. This is that time of year when things really start to get tough. Uh, you know, we're approaching the holidays and, and the kids may be a little restless. What can we do as leaders to create better schools for kids? I believe the answer to that question is one word, learning. What if we engaged in learning right now, this tough part of where, where the part of the year is getting tough? You know, one of the other things I might add to what the tools you just offered, folks, I write a blog, it comes out twice a week, and every blog is a story from the real world about the process of learning and change. I write them with the intention of helping the reader see the new insights necessary to stay engaged in the learning process. Now, that's um, called, the, it's all one word, the positive organization dot wordpress.com. Um, a lot of people have indicated that that's been extremely helpful for, the, for them because it is story, it's not advice. And it allows them to see, actually to reimagine, if you will, new paths. So I'd highly encourage them to take a look at that blog and sign up for it. It's, um, it's meant to be a source of nourishment. And if you have an interest, folks, in learning more about leadership and the work of Dr. Quinn, again, visit the website, follow him on Twitter, and check out the blog because these are some amazing resources. Dr. Quinn, thanks for your time. Best of luck to the Michigan Wolverines. And I hope to see you soon. All right. Thank you so much. As always, I want to thank our loyal listeners for listening to the Reimagined Schools podcast. And remember, folks, always do what you can in your school and community to create better schools for kids. Thank you for listening to the Reimagine Schools podcast with Dr. Greg Goins. Be sure to continue the conversation on social media with the Reimagine Schools hashtag and subscribe to the podcast at reimagineschools.net. You can also help support this podcast by clicking on the listener support link and making a small monthly contribution. Contact Dr. Greg Goins today to invite him to speak or present at your next education conference or professional development day. Please send inquiries to drgreggoins at gmail.com or on Twitter at drgreggoins.